Well, Merry Christmas, beloved. It's amazing. Uh, Chris, where are you, Chris? It's so weird when he gives announcements. He disappeared. He's gone. He left. Oh, he's out there? Okay. He was talking up here. He literally made a statement that's in my notes. So you'll have to listen for it. It's fascinating. He hasn't seen my notes. Just a, that happens quite a bit. So, But uh, you'll listen for that. But anyway, this morning we're going to talk about the gift of God's forgiveness. We'll be looking at a variety of scriptures together, so I won't have you open to any one passage at this moment. But beloved, the Christmas season is generally an extra busy and crazy time of year for people, is it not? Yeah. And of course, uh, one of the things that makes it, uh, makes it this way is the process, and I've already heard several people talk about this, is the process of determining and then purchasing Christmas gifts for the various people in your life. Uh, this process, as you know, involves the stress-inducing uh, steps of first trying to discover their Christmas wishes. That's hard enough, unless it's your children, because they're telling you all the time what they want. Um, but, you know, it gets harder for, like, when you're trying to buy for your parents or other people in your life uh, or your spouse. That can be uh, very difficult. But then, having done that, uh, figuring out how to, you know, figuring out what they want, then figuring out how to best balance their desires with the limited number of dollars uh, that you have access to, right? That in itself is a, can be kind of a stressful thing, working through that. And then after you've done that, you must find those gifts and secure them (laughs) before Christmas Day. Stressful. Stressful. Yes, and, um, and I just want to give a praise to God for his sovereignty and providence in establishing a company named Amazon. Yeah, I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, I don't believe it's a Christian company, but God has used it nonetheless to bless me and many of his people, and it has been a huge help with all of those things, even Christmas list. I mean, the, we share an account, so they all just stick over there. This is what we want, and then you can just go through and, and purchase this. Very nice, very nice. To deliver to your door. You just have to worry about people stealing it from your doorstep. But other than that, if you can get it before they take it, it's good, it's good. Uh, but in the midst, beloved, of all this um, gift buying and associated madness that occurs at this time every year, I believe it would be good for us to just stop for a moment, take a deep breath, And focus our hearts and minds today on one, of, on, a, on one particular, unique, very, very special gift. And that, beloved, is the gift of God's forgiveness. The gift of his forgiveness. And I want to highlight uh, two things about this gift right up front before we dive in. First, unlike the Christmas gifts you, uh, you have bought or will buy this season... Some of you are still shopping. I spoke to a uh, a friend last night who said he hasn't even started. But I guess he likes that. He likes doing it at the last minute. Uh, But unlike those gifts that you will buy, you will not find this gift that we'll talk about this morning in any store or even on Amazon, which is what Chris said this morning. Exact thing right from my notes. No, you will not. In fact, this gift cannot be bought at all. It cannot be bought at all. 
And then I'll add to that, as many sadly believe, it is, it is also not only made available to you through the Catholic Church. That is incorrect. Or a Catholic priest. That is not true. Many sadly believe that, but that is not true. Rather, God graciously offers it to all people freely. Freely. And second, while the gifts that are asked for by our family and friends are more than likely things that they may indeed want, but things they don't actually need, that's true, babe. That's true. I just want you to know that's true. You don't actually need these things. You just want them. Her grandmother, who's passed and is with the Lord now, used to take her on shopping sprees at this time of the year, and she would uh, say to her granddaughter, do you see anything that you can't live without? That was it. She just, she just loved being generous and, and giving gifts to her grandchildren. Uh, but the gift of God's forgiveness you know, as I said, these are the gifts you'll get, the gifts you'll ask for. They're gifts that you want, but they're gifts that you don't necessarily need, right? right? Generally, at Christmas time, you're not asking for oxygen and things of that nature. You're asking for stuff, you know? But the gift of God's forgiveness is, in fact, a gift that all of humanity does need. They do need it. In fact, they desperately need it, beloved. And for those of you that already have it, then my desire is that as we take a closer look at it this morning, that you will relish and cherish it even more. <laughs> and that your hearts this Christmas would rejoice because you have received this gift. That's my hope for you. And for those of you who have yet to truly receive it, if that's you and you're here and you have not yet received it, then my deepest wish is that you might accept this gift from God today. Today. Now, as we focus on this gift, I want to start by uh, looking at the foundation, the foundation of this gift, or the, the basis for this gift, which will also make clear, if it isn't already to you, why I said that all of humanity desperately needs it. Desperately needs it. So, to put it simply, the foundation or basis for the gift of God's forgiveness is the person and saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the person and saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, without Jesus, listen, without Jesus, there would be no forgiveness of God. There would be no forgiveness from God. The forgiveness of God is rooted in Jesus Christ. It is so important, beloved, to understand that. Many of you know this passage, right? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Why do you think that might be? I'll tell you right now. It is because the forgiveness of God, which one needs in order to come to the Father, is tied to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Untie those, and the gift is gone. Okay? That is, that is why Jesus is, is so supreme and so important, why we celebrate him. 
He is the foundation for the gift of God's forgiveness. To better understand this, we're going to briefly look at a text that we have covered thoroughly before in the past. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to look at it briefly, some of it. It, was in the book of Ro- it is in the book of Romans. But before we do that, I want to say a few things to you. And we'll look at several Bible passages this morning. But let me just say this. And some of this is review for you. And if, if uh, you've never heard this before, then I'm glad to share it with you. But the Bible tells us that all of humanity has sinned against their creator. All of humanity. We, even as Christians, okay, even as Christians, fail to do what God has commanded us to. Yes? And we do what God has commanded us not to do. We fail on both sides. Don't do this, we do it. Do this, we don't. So to one degree or another, beloved, we don't love the Lord God with all our heart and mind, and soul as we should. And we don't love our neighbor as ourselves as we should. Yes or no? Yes. And, just to push a little bit harder, to one degree or another, we lie. Deceive. Cheat. Steal. Lust. Covet, slander, hate. Yes? And, as if that wasn't enough, we are arrogant, proud, self-centered, and selfish. Hmm? And in a variety of ways. We attempt to rob God of his glory. We are, as one writer says, glory thieves. Taking the glory, honor, worship that is due him and giving it to ourselves or someone else or something else. Entirely unworthy of it. For only God is worthy. Now listen, beloved. That What I just said, which most of you affirmed, and if you didn't, you need to, because it's the truth. That is a serious problem for humanity. Because sin renders humanity guilty before their creator, before God, before the ultimate lawgiver. Right? These laws that we're breaking... Do not tell lies, do not covet, do not gossip, do not slander. Where do you think they came from? God! So any violation of them is an offense against God, first and foremost, before it becomes an offense against those to whom we've committed these acts. His world, his rules. And this sin of ours has rendered us guilty and then leaves all of sinful humanity liable to his divine punishment. Aren't you glad you came to hear this wonderful Christmas message? But we're getting to the wonderful part. But we always must cover this part first. By the way, that divine punishment includes ultimately, ultimately, eternal separation from a God in a place that is often joked about 
but is absolutely no joke. It's a terrible and an awful place. It is a real place. It is a place that the Bible calls hell. A place filled to the brim with God's wrath and entirely void of God's love. I can't even imagine such a place. It is a place of loneliness. There's no party going on. There's, there will be no party going on there. It's a place of loneliness and misery and pain. It is a place that will make your worst day or season on earth seem not so bad in comparison. Now listen, beloved. That is the divine punishment, ultimately, for sin. But God takes no pleasure in these things. The Bible tells us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy such things. But the Bible tells us that God is just. He is just. And being just, our sins then against him cannot go unpunished. Which means he simply cannot pretend that our sin did not occur. Right? We'll just pretend that didn't happen. And that didn't happen, 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 and that didn't happen. You can't just look the other way, beloved, or leave it unpunished. Not if he is to remain just. He cannot simply just forgive our sin. For while doing that would certainly be merciful, right? It would also be unjust. And that would make him ultimately a bad judge. God, a bad judge. And I've said this before to you. I've said it when I've shared Christ with people. But we, we, we get this even on the human level. If someone were to do the unfortunate thing of coming into our home and killing one of our loved ones. And then they were brought before the judge. The justice of the land. And the judge looked at him and said, you know what? Today, mercy, go your way. What would you say of that judge? What would you say? Oh, good judge. Good, fantastic. No, you, you may grab him physically and remove him from his place of power. You would scream at least. That's not justice. Yeah? Do you think it could be any different with the great judge of the universe, the almighty judge, that we, we cry out, that's not justice. But then when it comes to us, do we want justice from God? We don't. We want just mercy. And yet God... Because he's just, must bring justice to the matter of sin. He must. Our sin must be dealt with. The dreadful price for it must be paid. Oh, that is the bad news for us. Because we're sinners. Hmm? Yes? Right. However, 
However, even though God is completely just, he is also full of mercy, running over with mercy. And so he, in his infinite wisdom and grace and great love for his creation, humanity, devised a plan. This is amazing, whereby he could be just and merciful to sinners at the same time. We, have, we sing a song. It's one of my favorites. Justice and mercy meet at the cross. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I love that song because it reflects this reality. It is a plan, beloved, that would allow him to remain just in forgiving us all of our sins, all of our many transgressions against him. And that brings us to our first text this morning, and we're still just examining the foundation for the gift of God's forgiveness. And so let's look at it quickly. Romans 3, 23 through 25. It'll pop up on the screen for you as well. Don't look at the entire thing, but there it says this, and we're not going to go through the entire passage, just focus on a couple of things here, a couple of statements. There, the Apostle Paul writes this, For all have sinned, all, we've talked about that, and they fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I'm going to focus on verse 25, that part of it. So what does it mean that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood? What does it mean? That God put Jesus forward, we'll deal with that first, refers to the historical reality that God sent his divine son into the world, which is what is generally celebrated at Christmas. Yeah? That's what, I mean, not by everyone, but that's the idea. Celebrating that God sent his son into the world. As we learn in the scriptures, through a miracle of God and in fulfillment of prophecy, as we in the prophecy came from Isaiah 7:14, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, but still a virgin, conceived. We read it, or Tim read it this morning when we did the scripture reading, and came to give birth to a child who Joseph was told by the angel of the Lord in a dream to name Jesus. And then it goes on to say in that passage in Matthew, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means this, the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. That's his name. The Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. That's why he said name him Jesus, for he is going to save his people from their sins. Now, the Bible passage we read in Romans just a minute ago says that God put his son forward, which I just discussed with you, as a propitiation by his blood. As a propitiation by his blood. Referring to his blood is a reference to his death. Okay? To his death, rather than just the liquid running through his veins. And more specifically, it is his death on the cross that the author has in view. So God sent his son into the world to be a propitiation by his death. What does propitiation mean? What does propitiation mean? 
The word propitiation was used outside of the Bible, or the Greek word that's translated that way in English. It was used outside of the Bible in ancient times to refer to the sacrifices of the pagans who would offer to their imaginary, they would offer these sacrifices to their imaginary gods in order to appease them, in order to turn away their wrath or anger. Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes that word now and brings it to bear on the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't bring a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He brings himself to be sacrificed. He is the one, in the case of Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. He, as our human substitute, and as a perfect sacrifice at the cross, took upon himself our sin. And with it, all the punishment that we deserve for it from God. After God's wrath against our sin was fully poured out on Jesus Christ, and God's justice was made complete, Jesus took his last breath, said, it is finished, and died. Having fully satisfied the justice of God, God was appeased. He was appeased. Consequently, God's wrath and anger against sinners is entirely turned away in the saving work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And therefore, beloved, God is able to forgive sinners while remaining entirely just at the same time having punished Christ for their sin. For their sin. Or let me put it this way. Try to simplify it. God does not have to hold your sin against you if he has already held it against Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of Jesus, because of him, he can forgive the sinner and remain just in doing so. It's unbelievable, the plan that God devised. One writer puts it this way, God, because in his mercy he willed to forgive sinful men, and being merciful, willed to forgive them righteously, that is, without in any way condoning their sin. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. No, it wasn't okay. It couldn't be okay. So it had to be punished so he purposed to direct against his own very self in the person of his son, God the Son, the full weight of that righteous wrath which they deserved. It's propitiation, beloved. That's propitiation. Jesus was put forth as a propitiation by his blood. God took upon himself the wrath 
in, this, in the person of Jesus Christ, God took upon himself the wrath, his own wrath, that was due us as sinners. I've heard it said this way. I love this statement. In the person of Jesus Christ, God saved us from himself. God saved us from his own wrath. Out of the abundance of his love and mercy and grace, God chose to save us. We didn't deserve it, but he chose to save us from his own wrath that he had to, being just, pour out on sin. Beloved, apart from Jesus' birth into this world and what eventually followed, his propitiatory his propitiatory death on the cross. Apart from that, there could be no gift of God's forgiveness. Rather, all of humanity, fallen and sinful as we are, would stand condemned before God. And having no way to expunge our guilt before Him, we would remain under His holy wrath and suffer the eternal consequences for it after we pass from this life. You understand that? You understand why, maybe now, why? We celebrate, 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 celebrate Jesus. And what makes this holiday really so special, worthy of celebration? So at this time of year, at this time of year, when you see nativity scenes in people's houses or on their lawns, maybe you have one, okay? By the way, on that note, you need to remove the wise men from that scene. <laughs> Biblically speaking, they were not there at the birth. They arrived approximately two years later. So Allie and I have this discussion because we have a nativity house scene in our house. And this is an area where she does not obey. <laughs> She wants to keep them all together. I tell her the wise men need to be on the other side of the room. They're making their way, but they're not there yet. But for aesthetics and the way it looks, she says, no, we keep them all here on the table, and there are just some battles not worth fighting. So I give up on that one. But biblically speaking, you know. Anyway, back to that nativity scene. When you see it in your house or on the lawn, right? And you see the baby Jesus. And that's a whole other issue because sometimes the baby Jesus is not there. And I guess there's a big debate on whether or not some people remove the baby Jesus, right? And they put him out on Christmas. And there's a debate, right? And there's a debate about whether or not you should put him. And people get excited about that. And I don't understand why, all right? You want to put him in on Christmas? You want to leave him there the whole time? Do whatever you want, okay? But I know he already came. It's a done deal. I'm not waiting for him. So he came. Okay, so when you see him, when you see him, what you're really seeing there, that baby Jesus is not just a baby, sweet, precious baby. It's not just that. It is, beloved, it is the gift of God's forgiveness. That gift that you and I desperately need. And God gave that gift to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is the message of the Bible as we move through the text. Let me share those with you. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. 
She will bear a son, Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. We read it already. For he will save his people from their sins. Right? Not, not, oh, and because he's going to be a really nice guy. And he'll show you how to live a nice life. And then we still be dead in our sins, condemned under the wrath of God. No, he's coming to save you from your sins. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Acts 13, 38 through 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, this is after Christ has resurrected, he has ascended, the gospel is going forth, the message of Christ is being proclaimed. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ is the one he's talking about, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. They didn't say... Hey, like the, God, like the false gospel preachers of today, prosperity gospels. Hey, Jesus came to give you a really nice life. Yeah. You know, big house, nice cars, wealth, health, prosperity. As long as you keep giving to our ministry, then that's what God will give to you through Jesus, you know. Ooh. If I've ever had holy anger, and I don't know, maybe it was then when I hear that nonsense. They didn't come preaching that message. They came preaching that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's what he brings. That's what he accomplished. That's what we need. Big house, fancy car, and still dead in your sins? And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law of Moses isn't going to save you. The law of Moses reveals just how messed up you are, how sinful you are, how guilty you are, how much you need a Savior, how much you need forgiveness of sins. Acts 26. Now this is, this is the Lord's message to solve these Conversion here, Apostle Paul, right? The great Apostle Paul who's going to bring them the, the hope of the gospel and Jesus Christ to the Gentile peoples. And here we kind of come in the middle of this conversation in verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet, he says to Paul, the Lord does. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. For what purpose? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, set apart for me by faith in me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. What is it? The forgiveness of our trespasses. Another word for our sins, our trespasses against God, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. What? The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. We had the foundation of the gift of God's forgiveness. These other points, they'll be brief, but 
uh, important still as we consider this, this gift of God's forgiveness. And we want to look next at the fullness of the gift of God's forgiveness. The foundation, the fullness. God's gift of forgiveness is not partial, but full. And by that I mean that God's gift does not forgive only some of your sins. You know, like the ones that aren't so bad. No, it's all of them. It is every sin you have or will ever commit. Every sin you have or will ever commit. God knew them all. Okay? He knew them all. Every sin you would commit before you committed them. And he laid them all on Jesus Christ. He knew them all. And he laid them all on Jesus Christ. For those who have received this gift, no sin is left unforgiven by God. Is that not great news? Maybe you've been misinformed. Maybe you were thinking, no, that one was too much. No, that one as well. If you've received the gift of God's forgiveness, has been forgiven in Christ. Colossians 2 says this, 13, 14. And you, speaking to Christians, who were dead, separated from God in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some. Come on. That's right all. Don't let that preacher say things that aren't true. He's forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the what? Cross. Our debt that stood against us for violating God's law in a variety of ways. And the payment for that debt was all dealt with was all dealt with, the entire thing, at the cross. Put on Christ, suffering in our place. Christian is dead free concerning their sin. Beloved, I know some of you, you're going into debt for Christmas. I don't ever recommend that. That is not a good idea. And I know you have a plan. You're going to pay it all off next year. And hopefully nothing other stuff comes up so that creates a problem for you. Not a good idea, right? But, beloved, even if I could tell you right now, you are financially debt-free. You know, I went in, I found your accounts, I took care of them. I don't know how, but I'm, this is a story. It's a fantasy. We're making it up, right? You would be like, <laughs> my mortgage too? Yeah, my, your mortgage, your car payment, your 27 visas. I took care of all of it. Wow, how did you get 27 visas? I don't know. But I took care of all of it, right? You'd, you'd rejoice, right? But so what? Because you could be debt-free financially and walk into the next life in debt concerning your sin, and you would be condemned eternally. But you are. If you are a Christian, you've received God's gift of forgiveness. You are debt-free concerning your sin. You are debt-free. If you can get out of financial debt, that's good too. That's good too. But in the end, the most important thing for you, human being, 
is to be debt-free concerning your sin. And you are in Christ. You are if you have God's forgiveness. Another passage says it this way, in Christ, this is so beautiful, in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So beautiful. Not counting their trespasses against them. Beloved, just to make sure you've gotten it so far, who then was he counting their trespasses against? Who? Jesus. Jesus. He was taking them. He was taking the punishment for them. We have the foundation of the gift of God's forgiveness. We have the fullness of the gift of God's forgiveness. Let's consider the finality, the finality of the gift of God's forgiveness. By that I mean it's irreversible. It's irreversible, beloved. I mean, if it was full, but then at some point, I don't know, the deal changed. Ah, you didn't read the small print. (laughs) You messed up one too many times, so it's back on you. You know? Then that wouldn't be a, a good thing at all, would it? But this forgiveness is irreversible. I'll show you that. But let me tell you a couple of things. When God, as a lead up to this passage, when God gave Israel... His nation, his people, his law, he also gave them instructions concerning a system of animal sacrifices. Hard for us in this world or in this age, in this culture, maybe to get our mind around that, but that was what he did a a system of animal sacrifices that were to be made for their sin, for the the nation's sin, uh, for their transgressions against him, okay? This sacrificial system could not fix anyone's sin problem or permanently take away their sin, but it was designed to point forward, to look forward to the one who would. To the one who would. In the sacrificial system given to Israel, an animal was offered up by the priest as a substitute... For the human who sinned against God. The sin of that person was symbolically transferred to the innocent animal. And the animal was killed in the person's place, not for its transgressions. It was an innocent animal, but for the transgressions and sins of the person or the people or the nation. It was made to pay the price so that the person might live another day. The innocent animals were made to pay that price. The, the animals symbolically functioned then as a substitute. As a substitute. The punishment was redirected, if you will. You see that picture? So then we have Hebrews. But we know ultimately the person that I was pointing forward to was who? Jesus Christ. The man, the God-man. Who would take upon himself as the substitute. 
the sin of his people and suffer for it and die in their place that the sinner might live. It's a beautiful thing. God established this. He set it up so that the nation would be looking for the Messiah, the Savior, and understand then what happened and, and what took place. But it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 17, because we're still talking about the finality of the gift of God's forgiveness, it says there, and every priest, he's, he's talking about the system, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, okay, these animal sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That time is coming, at his second coming. For by a single offering, his offering, he has perfected for, what's it say? All time. All time. Those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, and he quotes scripture, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds. No more. No more. Maybe sometime in the future. Maybe if they blow it one too many times. Maybe if they commit that particular sin, then I'll start recalling all of their sins again. No, they have been perfected for all time. The NIV translation puts it this way, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Beloved, perfect here is not sinless, but guiltless. Not sinless, but guiltless. Forever he has made them perfect in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. One writer puts it this way, the sanctified have a status in God's presence that is perfect in the sense that they approach him with the full acceptance gained through the death of Christ. Full acceptance. And it is forever this acceptance. They have a perfect standing before God that will remain for a period of time and then expire or is subject to end based on your ability to be a good child of God? No. It will remain forever, for all time. This standing with God. This guiltless position before him. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Good news, beloved. Good news, this forgiveness of God. That we celebrate this time of year. We have the foundation of the gift of God's forgiveness, the fullness of the gift of God's forgiveness, the finality of the gift of God's forgiveness. How about one more, just quickly? The fruit of the gift of God's forgiveness. The fruit of the gift of God's forgiveness. What is this tree of forgiveness? What kind of fruit do we pull off of it? Well, there, there is much that we could say here, so I will only say a few things, but here's a passage. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, it reads like this, In him and through faith in him, and the him is Jesus Christ, 
we may approach God with freedom or boldness in some translations and confidence. You think about that with me for just a moment. Holy God! Oh, holy! God, God is opposed to sin. He hates sin. He loathes sin. So how does the sinner then come to him? How does he approach him? How? How might he have a relationship with him? Certainly not in his sin can he approach him. He couldn't come with boldness. He'd be cowering. He wouldn't even make it through the door. He'd feel the heat of God's wrath. Huh? But because of God's forgiveness in the person and work of Christ, the Christian, the one who's received that gift, can come Freely, boldly, and yes, even with confidence into the presence of their creator. They can commune with them. They can speak with them. Him. Him both times. Commune with him and speak with him. They can have a relationship with him that is not one of fear, but one of acceptance and love. They don't have to be terrified of his wrath. Because that was extinguished completely in the person of Jesus Christ when he took their sin, hit their sins upon himself and bore the wrath that was due us. It's done. It's over. It is finished, as our Lord said. And the fruit of that is wonderful and glorious. You've never tasted such beautiful fruit as the fruit of God's forgiveness. To be reconciled to your Creator because of this forgiveness is a fruit that we will enjoy for all eternity, Christian. We are no longer alienated from God. We are no longer his enemies. We are no longer under his wrath. But we can boldly, freely, with confidence come before him and one day be with him forever. And never fret about it. What about what I did? No, that's been dealt with. Huh? You think about all your sin, beloved. It's been dealt with. If you're a Christian, if you've received the gift of God's forgiveness. You know, these are other passages. Romans 5, 1, you know this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think that is? Why are we now at peace with God? Well, it's because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because of his propitiatory sacrifice that you and I as sinners can have now peace with God because our sin issue has been dealt with in him, removing that hostility that laid against us from God as sinners, now dealt with and forgiven. This peace, beloved, that we have with God makes it possible to have true peace in your heart and in your mind no matter what the circumstances of your life. Christmas gets crazy. Christmas gets busy. And so does the rest of the year with all of its stuff, right? Regardless of your circumstances or what's going on in your life, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Him, you can have peace because why? You have peace with God. You have peace with God. I was thinking about this. You know, there are people where you might... 
you might do something against them, and then you, as you're supposed to as a believer, you go and you ask for forgiveness, yeah? Hopefully you do that. You ask for forgiveness, and, and they don't always extend forgiveness back. They don't always accept it, yeah? Okay? So you've sinned against them, but they're unwilling to forgive, huh? Does that happen? Never? Yeah, all the time. It happens. And that's sad. And that breaks that relationship between you and them, certainly. But guess what? You have peace with God. You have peace with God. They may not forgive you, but God does forgive you in Christ. You come to him, you say, Father, forgive me. You have it. You thank him for that forgiveness that you have in Christ. And you have peace with him. Ultimately, people will go their own way and do their own thing, but you, Christian, will be with God forever. So of all the people you need to have peace with, it better be God and you do because of Christ. That's that gift. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I love this passage. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. None now. None later. None in the future, there's none. That's the gift of God's forgiveness. No condemnation. I don't know about you, but what that should produce is joy. Joy, true joy. Joy everlasting. Does it? It should, beloved, if you consider these things rightly. If you think about that baby rightly, that is the gift of God's forgiveness. So we've looked at the foundation of the gift of God's forgiveness, the fullness of this gift, the finality of the gift, the fruit of the gift, and certainly more could be said. And finally, the faith required to receive the gift of God's forgiveness. The faith required. This gift is freely given by God. Listen closely. It's given by God freely to all who confess their guilt before God. And their total inability to make themselves right with him. And then choose to turn to Christ in repentance and trust in him and the sufficiency and saving work of the perfect, saving, sin-bearing, substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord given to them it's received by this faith this saving faith this repenting faith this turning to christ this recognizing their need and recognizing that he has filled it and calling out upon him to save them to save them from their sins to them the gift of god's forgiveness is given to them all the benefits of christ Sacrifice and death and propitiation are extended to them. Remember our passage in Romans 3, 23 and 25. It says, Therefore all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It is not automatic, beloved. 
You must receive this gift, and it is only received by faith, by trust, by knowledge of him and what he did for you and your embracing of it. I plead with you. I plead with you. Some of you may have received a knockoff gift. The Catholic Church may have told you you were forgiven because they said so. That doesn't forgive you. That's not how you receive the gift of God's forgiveness. You receive it this way, by faith, in Him, in Christ, in His sacrifice, on your behalf, in acknowledgement of your sin, turning to Him in repentance. That is how you receive this gift. It's given freely. You can't do anything to earn it, to get it, to merit it. You open your arms like a child and you just receive it in faith. And God is glad to give it to you in all of its fullness. Couldn't even find the right words there. He rejoices. The angels rejoice over one sinner who repents and turns to Christ and has their sins wiped away and is reconciled again with their creator, receiving that gift that is everlasting, it's permanent, it's final, it's full and filled with fruit. Good fruit. If you're here, if you're here, you've never received that gift, you do it now, beloved. Do it now. Don't leave here. Right where you're sitting, before the service is over, before you walk out, you cry out to God in your heart right where you are. You don't need to walk up here. There's no magic in that. Do it right where you are. Cry out to the Lord. You've heard. Call out to Him to save you. Tell him you're a guilty sinner and you deserve to go to hell and you know it and you can't do anything about it. But you believe he did everything about it. He took care of it for you. And receive this gift. Do it today, beloved. Because this is, this is it. You leave this life without it. There's no second chances. There's no purgatory. None of that nonsense. This is it. This is your chance. And God doesn't guarantee you'll make it to tomorrow. There's no guarantees. Do it now. Do it now. If you have this gift like I do, I have it. I have it only because I received it by faith. I didn't do anything to get it. I never could. I received it. If you have this gift, and with me, I hope you're rejoicing. You have joy flowing up out of you. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Because your sins are wiped out. You are debt-free in this category. Because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray your blessing upon these people. And I pray your saving, drawing power, even now, even now, Father, as your Holy Spirit works to convict sinners and to draw them unto yourself and to reveal to them and in their heart the truth of Jesus Christ and their need for him. Father, I pray, please. I pray, please. For those that are here and do not have that gift, Father, I pray that you would work as only you can do, that you would work even now in their minds, in their hearts, they would not leave here before crying out to you 
to be saved. Before falling on Jesus and putting all their hope and trust and confidence in Him and thereby receiving this amazing gift of your forgiveness. Father, thank you for all of us who you have so graciously given it to already, who have come to you repenting and trusting. Father, thank you. I need nothing for Christmas, for I've received everything I need. Everything else is just a bonus, a plus, but it's nothing compared to the gift that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I just give you praise and I rejoice in it. I thank you for it. Bless your people, Father, and, and draw those who do not know you unto yourself even now. For your glory and for their great good, do your sovereign work this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen.